Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. How's it going, CityWalk? Are you guys ready for fall? They, they told me it's a dry heat when we moved from Florida. It's really, you know, 110 really isn't that hot until it is. Uh, no, you, most of you guys know we, I grew up in Florida. We moved there when I was five, and it is it's a to- different kind of heat. But man, the last few days, I've been, my wife actually likes this stuff. I'm, I'm like, man, I, I, I'm sweating every second of the day, and she's like, come on, quit being a wimp. I'm like, come on, I just want to see a pumpkin. I don't know. I just want to something fall. So we actually turn the air extra cold in the church. So if you get cold, just be thankful that you're cold for a moment and because you're not going to be later today. Uh, as I said earlier, and you, m- many of you already know this about us, when I was five years old, my dad moved us to Florida. Uh, we lived in, I grew up, uh, I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and uh, when I was five years old, my dad moved us uh, to Florida, and we moved to a city called Lakeland, Florida. And when we moved to Florida, we're, I'm the oldest of three boys, and we were all little guys, and, and we, we got to Florida, and man, we tried to get acclimated. We, we had moved from Michigan. We didn't really know anybody in the city of Lakeland, and so, man, we began to kind of find out what the, the schools were like. We found a church. Dad got a job, and uh, we started following, because we were a sports team, we started following a very unknown at that point and unknown for a reason, football team called the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And at that point, this is like literally like early 80s. At that point, the Bucs were a fairly new team. They started in the NFL in 1976. And so they were less than 10 years old. And they, for except for maybe a couple years where they kind of snuck into the playoffs early in their existence, basically for the first 20 years... The, the Bucks weren't good at all, and they were literally the only professional sports team that we had in Central Florida to follow. I mean, the, the Bucks were so bad, you would, you would see people with, like, they, they would wear bags over their heads at games. I mean, it was like we were kind of embarrassed to be Buck fans, but yet that was our only team, so we cheered. And every year, we hoped to win at least three games. Uh, we didn't ever try to win, like get into the playoffs, but it was like, can we like win three, maybe five, maybe only be second worst in our league instead of, first, you know, the worst. And then in the late nineties, the Bucks got a new coach and they started to draft some players that are now in the hall of fame and, and things started to change. And then in 2002, heaven came down to Tampa Bay and they actually won the Super Bowl. And I mean, for, for us, it was such, such a big deal. And if you would have driven through Tampa and through kind of the surrounding areas that spring and summer of 2002, every business assigned, every billboard that you would see would have something about the Bucks. 
And one of my bosses back then, he, he, made, he, he said this to me. He said, you know what? Every sign and everybody wants to have the bucks on their, on their, their sign when, man, two years ago, they didn't even know who was on the team. Two years ago, they wouldn't buy a jersey, and now the jerseys are selling out. The reason people have the bucks on their sign is because everybody wants to be associated with the winning team. And so even though two years ago they didn't even know who the quarterback of the Bucks was, now, man, they're paying money to have the Buccaneers on their sign for their business because everybody wants to be connected to winners and everybody wants to be connected to a winning team. And whether it's in the area of sports, business, relationships, you've all experienced that. It's the reason in middle school you wanted to sit at a certain lunch table. Because there was a certain lunch table that you wanted to sit at because of who else was sitting at that table. Because you knew, man, if you sat at that table, those were maybe some popular kids in in, in school. And so, man, you, you wanted to be associated with them. It's the same reason as an adult you name drop. Like, like we all do that once in a while, we'll, we'll drop a name of somebody we know or we've been associated with in a conversation with somebody else because, man, we want to be associated with winners, with a winning team, and so we do that. It's just, whether we like it or not, it's, it's just something that we, we do. But unfortunately, this can kind of find its way into our relationship with Jesus, and in fact, over the last 2,000 years... Many have tried to associate with Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of what he could do for them and what being associated with him might help them with. In fact, this is something that Jesus wasn't a huge fan of. If you read through the Gospels, whether you grew up in church or not, if you just take some time to read through the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus did some things on purpose, on a regular basis, to thin the crowd out. Like when too many people started following him and they were following him for the wrong reasons, like he would say some really bold statements. He would ask some really pointed questions and and it would thin the crowd and that's what he wanted. And there's a a conversation that Jesus has in Mark chapter 8. And in this conversation, we see this exact thing happen. Jesus is talking to some of his followers, and he asks two questions that are as relevant today as they were when he asked them 2,000 years ago. And there's two questions that he asks that, honestly, if you're wondering where you stand in your faith, if you're courageous enough to ask these questions, you'll know pretty quick. And leading up to this, if you have your Bibles, and we'll be, uh, it'll be up on the screen here in a second, we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, but kind of leading up to this conversation where Jesus asked these questions, you've got, got to kind of understand what was going on. He has just healed a guy, he's, he's been healing a lot of people, and at the end of Mark chapter 7, uh, he heals this deaf guy, and he literally tells this guy, dude... I'm going to heal you, but I don't want you to go tell anybody. Do not go tell anybody what I just did. Because Jesus knew people would just follow him for the wrong reason. So he's like, I want to heal you. Go home. Don't go tell anybody. And the guy went and told people. And so that's how Mark chapter 7 ends. And then in Mark chapter 8, it starts with literally 4,000 people plus following Jesus 
And they've been with him for three days. I mean, how much do you have to like somebody to follow him through like the, just like not inside. You're like hanging out camping. You're staying with this guy, listening to his teaching for three days. And Jesus starts to be burdened for him. And so he's like, yeah, these guys are getting hungry and we've got a few loaves of bread. I think he had about seven loaves of bread. And he's like, all right, well, you guys remember what I did with the 5,000? Well, I can do it with 4,000 too. And so he, he takes a few little loaves of bread and a few fish and he feeds all of them. And, and then what he does after this is over. So remember, man, he's healed a bunch of people and all these people are following him. And now he's just done this another great miracle and fed all these people with just a few loaves of bread. And so he sends those people away and he kind of starts to go spend some time with just kind of his closer, his guys that he spends most of his time with. And the religious leaders follow, find him. The religious leaders find him and they, they come up to him and say, hey, Jesus, we want you to show us a sign. You say you're God, we want you to show us a miracle. And just put yourself in Jesus' place. You've got all these people that, man, you're healing people, you're, you're feeding people. Now these religious cats are coming up and they're like, hey, show, give us a show. And he, Jesus is here and he said, man, I, I came to, to reach people. I came to seek and to save the lost. And I've, I've done these miracles to show people that I am who I say I am. And yet all these people are starting to follow Jesus for his miracles not for his message. They weren't interested in who he was, but they were interested in what he could do for them. And if Jesus was trying to win like a popularity contest or a, maybe a political campaign, he would have been fine with that. But he wasn't. He was trying to transform hearts. So he, he, he was never the guy that was like, let's get the biggest crowd. But yet these crowds had been following him, and, and his, his goal was he wanted to help his followers have a different perspective. He wanted them to see things not from a human perspective, but from God's perspective. And so in the middle of all this happening, he gets some time with his guys as they're taking a walk, and he asks them two questions that give great clarity to someone's faith and their relationship with Jesus. It says this in Mark chapter 8. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples. So he's literally, he's kind of gotten away from the most of the crowd, and he's kind of just, and he did this a lot. He just would walk with his guys, and so he's walking with his guys, and as he's walking, he throws out this question. Who do people say that I am? So, hey, guys, hey, Andrew, Peter, like, what's the word on the street? Like, like what do, who do people say that I am? I got all these people that are crowding around me all the time. What, what are people saying about me? And they answered him, hey, you know, some people say you're John the Baptist. Okay, that's my cousin. I'm, that's not, you know, he's a good guy. I'm not him, but I like John. Others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets, and so they're like, well, Jesus, a few people, they're, they're confused, and they kind of have, they think you're like John the Baptist risen from the dead, and, or Elijah come back to life. They think you're, they, they've, I mean, a lot of good, well-respected people, and they're kind of saying that you're the same person. But then Jesus is walking, and the guys have just answered that question. But then Jesus, I don't know if he stopped, or if he was continuing to walk, but he 
takes it from a really broad question and now he makes it real personal and he says this, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? I get it, I get it. Some people think I'm John the Baptist and, and some people think I'm Elijah back from the dead and some people think I'm just a great teacher and a prophet and all these things. And okay, that's great to know what all the thousands think about me, but you are my followers. You're the guys that walk with me. You're the guys that have seen me from the beginning. Who do you say that I am? This is a valid question. This was a valid question then, and it's a valid question now. Who who do you, who do I say that Jesus is? Honestly, everything hangs on the answer to this question. And, And here's what usually we do in our society. In fact, if you go talk to somebody about Jesus, they'll usually refer you to, oh, my dad does this, or my family does this, or this is what my church believes. No, 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 no. I don't care about any of that. Who do you say Jesus is? Not who does your family say Jesus is. Not what is the church that you go to three times a year say Jesus is. No, who do you? And and this is where Jesus is like, guys, what I'm about to tell you, and he's about to kind of surprise them with some things he's about to say, but all of what he's about to say hangs on the answer to this question. And he asks them, and and he's like, guys, I I don't care what the crowds think, but you... Who do you say that I am? And so Peter, being Peter, he kind of says what everybody else is thinking. He's kind of the mouthpiece for the disciples. And here's what Peter says. Peter kind of speaks up. Peter answered him, you're the Messiah. And it says, Jesus said this, and he strictly warned them not to tell anyone about him. Peter says, hey, you're, you're God. You're the chosen one. You're the one that we've been hearing about it for hundreds and hundreds of years. You're the Messiah. Like, good, yes, Peter, you're right. And Jesus says, hey, I don't want you guys to tell anyone. And you're like, what? I thought this was, you're supposed to tell people about this. And basically, in this, what Jesus was saying is, man, all the people of that day, they were looking at Jesus as this, hey, he's going to be a political leader. He's going to be the guy that's going to kind of put his foot on the neck of Rome. And so Jesus is like, don't, don't be telling people yet that I'm the Messiah because they're going to they're gonna put wrong things on that and they're going to come at me like I'm a political leader. And I'm just, I'm not ready for that. That's not what I'm here for. But it's good that you had that answer. See, the disciples believed Jesus was God. They believed he was the Messiah, but yet they and and many others were ready for him to set up an earthly kingdom and honestly kick Rome's tail. They were ready for Jesus to be king right now, and they had given up everything to follow him. And so what Jesus said next shocked them. Peter's just, man, right answer. He gets the cookie. He gets the check. You know, he said the right thing, and then Jesus says this. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. What? Peter, you know, hey, who who do you say I am? You're God. You're the Messiah. You're the king. You're the one that that we've been waiting for to set up a kingdom. And Jesus says, hey, lean in. I got to tell you something. I've got to suffer. 
What's ahead of me is death. This is, we're about to be rejected by the religious system. That This is what's coming. And, and they've got to be sitting there like, what, what are you talking about? I mean, this does not make sense. Jesus, you have huge crowds following you. Jesus, everything you say, I mean, people are just waiting and they're like sitting on every word that you're saying. If, if we were a businessman, all the spreadsheets right now are up and to the right. Momentum is through the roof. What are you saying? You're going to be rejected and die. We're the, Jesus, we're the guys that gave up everything to follow you. What are you, I mean, what is going on? This was not part of the contract. And so, man, these guys, they're, they're not, I mean, we, we, we see it now. And if you grew up in church, you, you, you look back at this, you know, 2,000 years later, and you kind of already know the end of the story, but these guys were living in it. They were following Jesus. They had given up their professions, and they thought he was going to set up a kingdom. And now he's telling them that he's going to get rejected and killed. Like, like what, what's going on? And so Peter, being Peter again, he spoke up for everybody. And here's what Peter said. It says, he spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I mean, Peter's probably saying what everybody else is feeling. And so imagine being the guy that's like, hey, Jesus, I just need to have a talk with you. And pulling Jesus aside and getting kind of in his face and rebuking him. Like, I think you're a little off with, with what you just said, Jesus. And then here's what Jesus does. It says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, like he's been talking to Peter, and now he, wa he wants to make sure all the boys hear what he's about to say. And it says, when he turned around, he looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Basically, he's saying, Peter, you are allowing the evil one to influence your thoughts and your words. Your perspective is a human perspective. You are 100% wrong, and you are being used by the evil one right now. Like Jesus, he didn't come soft in this. He wasn't trying to like skate around the issue. He came right at Peter, and really what he was saying is, and it's really this point, and it's so important that we catch this. When I see the world from an earthly perspective, I see it the way Satan wants me to. Let me say that again. When I see the world from an earthly perspective, I see it the way Satan wants me to. When I see my money from an earthly perspective, when I see my time, when I see my neighbor, when I see sex, when I see marriage, when I see, and you fill in the blank, and I see it from an earthly perspective, and I have not allowed God's truth and perspective to speak into how I see things. I'm seeing things exactly the way Satan wants me to. And that's what Peter was doing. I mean, Peter was trying to stop Jesus from dying on the cross. Which, man, now 2,000 years later, you're like, well, I'm glad Jesus didn't listen. But, but think about what Peter was doing. And so what, what Jesus does at this point, he's, he's talked to his guys, and he's, man, made very straightforward that, Peter, your perspective is wrong. But then Jesus, like he always does, he, he uses these moments to teach. And so he, 
there's still some people kind of around. And so he says, hey, you guys that are kind of around, he kind of gathers the crowd that are kind of out and about. Because remember, he's walking with his guys. And so there must be some other people kind of on the outskirts. So he gathers them and he brings clarity to, to what he's just said. He says in verse 34, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So Jesus, you've had crowds following you. You've had all these healings. Like people are just like you are it. And now you've just told your closest followers, the guys that gave up everything to follow you, you've just told them that you're going to go, like you're going to suffer, you're going to be rejected, and you're going to die. And now he's saying to everybody, you want to follow me? You have to deny yourself, take up his cross, and follow me. Denying self doesn't mean denial of like one's personality. It doesn't mean that. It, basically what it means, it means to deny self-centeredness. It means to deny myself on the throne. And it, and it means to not only deny myself on the throne, but put Jesus on the throne. These people, they had literally seen thousands of their countrymen crucified by the Romans. They had seen that. They, they had seen it was not something that was like once in, a, in like ever. This is something they saw all the time. They were familiar with the Romans. They were familiar with crucifixion. And one of the things that Romans used to do before they would crucify you, a condemned criminal often carried his cross to the place of his execution, showing that Rome had authority over him. When, when Jesus was crucified, he voluntarily put himself under Rome's authority. He carried his own cross voluntarily saying, you know what, I'm going to allow them to kill me. But when somebody would carry their cross, basically what it would tell the world is, hey, they are, are under the authority of the Romans. The Romans are in charge of them. And here's what Jesus was saying. When a disciple takes up his cross... He or she is acknowledging that Christ has authority over their life. And here's where probably guys like me haven't done a good job over the years. We have given people the kind of picture that there's like a, a middle ground. And what I mean by that, it's like, oh, well, I'm not ready to carry my cross. For, I'm not ready to live my life under the authority of Jesus but I'm not going to like worship Satan because that just sounds weird. So I'm going to kind of just hang out in the middle. And, and here's the thing. And that, that's, that Satan's just up, like, like, he's like, yes, thank that. that. That's a great. I'm glad you think that. Be because the bottom line is you and I are serving one of two kingdoms. Like my life and my resources is either, either serving the kingdom of God or it's serving the purposes and agenda of the enemy. There's like no middle ground. Like we, every single one of us is living under the authority of someone. It's either we're under the authority of God and we're saying, hey, your way is best. Or we're living our lives under the authority of the evil one and the ways that he wants things to go. 
And we get this little kind of picture in our head like, no, I know I'm not living under the authority of Jesus, but I'm kind of doing my own thing. I'm free. I'm doing my own thing. And again, Satan's like, yep, you are, buddy. You're doing your, you're, you're in charge. You're in charge. You're doing your own thing. And he's just like, yeah, they just, they're just following my plan. Like, I'm just doing my own thing when I'm addicted to pornography. I'm just, I'm free. I can do my thing. I'm just doing my own thing when I'm having sex outside of marriage. I'm just doing my own thing when I'm not generous with my money and I'm wasting it. This is just me being free and saying, it's like, yeah, you are. You are free, aren't you? No, you're following my agenda to the T. And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I carried my cross, so you have a choice of which cross you're going to carry. Because before I carried my cross, Jesus says, you didn't have a choice. You were a slave to sin and you couldn't do anything about it. But because I carried my cross, now you have a choice of whose authority you're going to live under. But you will live under someone's authority. Don't get that wrong. And that's what Jesus was saying to his boys. And here's the thing. And this isn't in my notes at all, but I think we need to hear this. Living under the authority of Jesus is good. When when, when you live under the authority of someone that loves you unconditionally and has your best in mind, why would you not want that? We think, oh, I don't want to live, I don't want to do it God's way because this is too hard or I'm not going to be able to do this. He's like, I know what's best for you. If you're a parent, you get this. You get this 100% because, man, you, even if you're a dog owner, you get this. Like, your dog wants to do things that, like, no, that, buddy, you can run out in the middle of the road, but it's not going to end well. So I'm not going to let you. I know what's better for you. You can eat those grapes and chocolate, but it's not going to end well for you because I know what's best. See, one who decides to maintain a self-centered life in this world By refusing Jesus and his way will ultimately lose his life both now and for eternity. And here's what Jesus says. He says in in verse 35, the very next phrase that he says. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. See, on the other hand, a a, a person who gives his life over to Jesus in his way will both gain life now and for eternity. Sometimes we think, I need to, before I die, I need to get this thing right with Jesus so I can like spend eternity in heaven because I've heard that other place isn't really a great place to spend eternity. But but yeah, yeah, that's great. You're going to spend eternity with Jesus, but, but you miss out on so much in life. Because Jesus has a best way for your life. He has things he wants you to accomplish. And and when we go his way and we put ourselves under his authority, we have our best life. And then we have our best eternity too. But when we, and and here's where we pretend again, like we pretend like, ah, one day I'll get things right with Jesus. You don't know that. Every time you harden your heart and say no to Jesus, your heart continues to get harder and there may come a day where you don't want him and it might be too late. And this is where I'm I'm serious. Like this is where Jesus was getting with his guys and like, guys, let me tell it to you straight. Like you guys need to, he's a few chapters from dying. 
And so he's coming kind of hard at him. He's trying to, like, guys, I can't make it any clearer for you. But then he asks maybe the most powerful, thought-provoking question, maybe out of any question that he asks in all of Scripture. He had already asked the question, hey, who, who's Jesus? Who, who do you think I am? But then he asked this next question. And this is a question that whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're investigating faith, whether you're coming back to faith, this is a question that is worth thinking about. He says this in verse 36. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? And then he says this. What can anyone give in exchange for his life or his soul? Jesus says, hey guys, is there anything at the end of the day that you would be worth, like, hey, if you'll give me this, if the world can give me this, it's worth my soul. Like, is there anything? Is there anything at the end of your life that you would say, okay, this is a fair trade, like, if I can have this, and if my life can look like this, if, if, if the world can give me this, then it's worth my soul. And this is what Jesus is saying. He, he's got the crowd around him, and again, he's saying, hey, is there anything, is there any world, if you had every worldly possession, if you had everything you could ever dream of, is anything worth your life? Is anything worth your life now, and is anything worth your soul in eternity? And Jesus goes on, he says, in verse 38, he says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, if, if Jesus, if I'm not worth your life, don't expect me to be there in eternity. Which brings us back to this phrase that we looked at at the kind of when towards the beginning of the message, and it's simply this when I see the world from an earthly perspective, I see it the way Satan wants me to. See, Satan wanted Jesus to get distracted and not go to the cross. So he tried. He tried to use Peter, he tried a lot of different things if you read through the Gospels, and, and it didn't work. But, but he tried. And he wants us to get distracted as well. He wants us to get distracted, and he wants us not to carry our cross. He, he wants us to get distracted with the lies of the enemy, like, hey, I'm really free if I, I can kind of do my own thing, and kind of in the end, I'll just figure this thing out before I die. He wants us to believe all that. He wants, he wants that. He, doesn't, he knows that, that Jesus' way is best today, and he knows it's best for eternity. He knows that. And so he, just like he tried to distract Jesus and give Jesus a wrong perspective, he tries to do the same thing with us and, and help us see things through like a human perspective so that we, we don't see things the way God does, so we get distracted. And really our response to Jesus and what he said in this passage comes back to those two questions. The, the first one, who is Jesus? Like, is Jesus God's son? Is he the king of my life? Or is he just a good person? 
Is he someone that, man, I I try to associate with when it's convenient because it kind of helps me out? Like, who is Jesus? And then that second question, how much is your soul worth? How much is your life worth? I mean, is there anything worth exchanging your soul for? See, Jesus, he, he didn't come to earth. He didn't die on the cross and raise from the dead to build a fan club. Like he, He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Fans focus on what Jesus can do for them. It's kind of like the genie in a bottle thing. Like, yeah, I'll be a fan if he'll like, grant me my three wishes. Well, he'll, he'll do the show and I'll, I'll get to watch something really cool. Yeah, I'll, I'm a fan. But a follower focuses on who Jesus is, not just what he can do, and joyfully allows him to direct our life, almost as a best friend and a king. No, no matter what your religious background, and I know we have some people watching online, we have people here, and some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time. For some of you, maybe you haven't been in church for a while, and you're kind of coming back, and, and then there's others that, man, you're still kind of investigating. You're not even sure what you think of the whole Jesus thing. But, but no matter where your religious background is, man, man, we all know what it's like to look back and realize that we missed opportunities, we, we, we look back and we, we realize because we had the wrong perspective, because we saw something maybe different than what it really was, we missed an opportunity in business. Maybe we complicated a relationship that didn't need to be complicated. We, we made a decision that hurt people and we weren't me- meaning to hurt people, but because we saw things the wrong way, because we looked at things from the wrong perspective, we missed opportunities. And we've all done that. And as Mark was writing, and, and we, we believe Mark and Peter were the ones that kind of put together this gospel of Mark, as he was writing down the teaching that Jesus did, little did he know that you and I, a couple thousand years later, would be grappling with the same two questions and grappling with this idea of our perspective the same way the early followers of Jesus grappled with these questions. And the question simply is this, who is Jesus and how much is he worth to me? Who is Jesus and how much is he worth to me? Is, is Jesus just a, a helpful teacher? Is, is he just a helpful teacher? I mean, if he's just a helpful teacher, then you're in charge. You're in charge, so man, live your best life and get what you can from Jesus to help kind of accomplish your agenda. If he's got some helpful things to say, if he, man, lived a life that was maybe a good model for society, man, that's great. Well, get your agenda together and as Jesus can help you, if there's something that his example can do for you, man, then associate with him and allow him to help you move your agenda forward. If he's a helpful teacher. But if he's the Savior King, it means that he lived the life you couldn't live. Sometimes we point to his death like he died the death I should have, but you know what? He also lived the life you couldn't, and I couldn't. He he lived a perfect life because I couldn't live a perfect life. He lived a perfect life because you couldn't live a perfect life, and then he died the death that I should have died and that you should have died. So that we could be transformed through a relationship with him. 
And instead of, of us trying to live our best life, what we do, if, if he's truly the Savior King, if, if, if he is, then we trust him and we gladly and joyfully submit to his authority. If you're here and you, you say, man, Chris, I'm not somebody that's a follower of Jesus. I'm somebody, again, for a lot of different reasons. Maybe you were hurt by the church. Maybe you just, it's just never been a part of your life. And so you're not a follower of Jesus you're here, and if you're honest, maybe you would say, I get this, Chris, because I, I do. I, if I'm honest, I, I sit at the throne of my life. I'm in charge of my life. I, I do things the way I want to. I see things through the perspective of what's best and what's in it for me. As much as I hope to be a good person, at the end of the day, down in the kind of depths of my heart, I, I sit on the throne. I do it the way I want to do it. And just like Jesus did 2,000 years ago, I believe he would ask you just a, a very honest question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? If you're here, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm investigating faith, different reasons I'm not a follower, but I'm living my life the way I want to, I'm, I'm kind of on the throne of my life, and man, there's some things I see in Jesus that might be helpful, or maybe some moral stuff, but at the end of the day, I kind of do what's best for me, and I'm, I'm asking you the same question I think Jesus would ask you, is it working, is it best, is it worth it? Is what you're trusting in worth your soul? Like if this is true, if Jesus really is the Savior King that died for the sins of the world, is what you're trusting in worth it? It's just, a, again, it's not, I'm not here to twist your arm, I'm not here to make you believe. Obviously, I can't make, but I think Jesus would probably ask that same question, like, is what you're trusting in worth it? And would you be willing to pray this prayer? You're like, dude, I don't pray. Would you be willing to word and think through this prayer maybe this week? And here's the prayer. It's simply this. God, help me to see who Jesus is and what he wants for my life. I don't buy into Jesus, Chris. I don't even know what I totally believe, but, but okay, I get it. Would you be willing, if you're watching online or you're here this morning, would you be willing to at least just with as much honesty in your heart as possible, if there is a God and if there is a Jesus and if this possibly could be true, would you be willing to at least think through and word this statement, God help me to see who Jesus is and what he wants for my life. Would you be willing to do that? Maybe you're here and you say, hey, Chris, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, there's been a time in my life, and I know a lot of you, you, you follow Jesus. Some of you have been following Jesus for longer than I've been alive. And for, for most of us that are followers of Jesus, if we're honest, there are days we struggle with taking Jesus off the throne and putting ourselves back on. And probably more days than we want to admit where, where, man, there's a lot of moments where, yeah, Jesus is on the throne of our life, but this moment, it's not convenient to have you on the throne, Jesus, so you can take a break for a couple hours and let me get back on there for just a few hours. And we all do that. And, and this affects how we see relationships. This affects how we see money, how we uh, see our kids. I mean, it affects everything. And here's what happens when we try to be on the throne. We live a life characterized by 
anxiety and fear because we're not meant to be on the throne of our life. So we try to be God. We try to do things that only God can do. And so we find ourselves with anxiety and fear and anger and frustration. And so maybe you've struggled. Maybe I'm the only one. But maybe you've struggled with this. Maybe you've struggled to trust God and really say, hey, I'll leave you on the throne and I'm going to trust that your way is best. Would you be willing to pray this prayer this week? Would you be willing to pray this simple prayer? God, your way is best. I trust you and joyfully submit to your plan in my life. You're a follower of Jesus, but just like me, you struggle to keep Jesus on the throne. This week, would you be willing to just, in the honesty and the quietness of your heart, say to God, God, your way is best. I trust you and joyfully submit to your plan for my life. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for your graciousness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for how just on a walk with your guys, you were concerned enough about them that you asked them two really tough and really meaningful questions. And Lord, we're, we're sitting here 2,000 years later, and Lord, those questions are just as relevant to us today. And God, I pray as we grapple with who you are, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would show us truly who you are, that you would give us confidence in who you are, that you would give us confidence that your way is best, that carrying the cross and living under your authority is a good thing. Lord, I pray that we would not believe the lies of the evil one, that we would not believe that we're really free when we're really living for his kingdom. God, I pray for those in here or watching online that, that might be just grappling with, and I don't even know if I believe in this Jesus guy. God, I pray that you would make yourself real. That you would show yourself to these friends. And Lord, for the many in here that are followers of you, some watching online, God, I pray as, as sometimes we struggle, we struggle to, to allow you to be on the throne. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts and that we would joyfully submit to your authority because your way is best. In Jesus' name, amen.